Good afternoon. Welcome to Sticky Learning Lunches with me, Nathan Simmons, and also the delectable Andy Palmer delivering to this week and for the next week. We're just going to give it a few minutes while the last people arrive, and then we're going to dive into today's content. Just going to give it another 30 seconds or so. While we're doing that, let's just make sure we're setting ourselves up for success. And I'll give people a reminder when we go back into this very briefly. Let's make sure we're lighting up those phones, get the little aeroplane lit up, zero out the distraction, 100% attention on what we're doing here today, the investment in yourself and the learning that you're about to get. Also, making sure you've got a fresh sheet, fresh sheet for fresh thinking. At the top of that page, you're going to write keepers. Those keepers are going to be the things that you want to remember and remind yourself about so that you can reread them and reignite that thinking. So as you're looking at the category management funnel, it's going to help you get more clarity on what your targets are, who your customer is, and knowing who your clients and your supermarkets are. All these key elements, by making sure you're documenting these key points, can be absolutely vital. Right. Today, we're not going to be doing too much screen sharing. So we've got Andy on camera one, we've got me on camera two. I'm going to be here to be asking questions as we go through to making sure we get these points across. We're going to start with a recap from part one, just to make sure we're following that train of thought. And then what we're going to do is we're going to fly in and start looking at how to understand your shopper, which is absolutely vital for making this work. Andy, what have we got for day two? Excellent. So yeah, thank you, Nathan. Um, today, absolutely more about understanding the shopper, keeping the shopper at the heart of all the decisions we make to help grow our category sales, our category profit, whatever measure we've got in place, which links us nicely back to what we talked about yesterday, right up at the top of the funnel, agreeing category targets, the importance of having ideally a single focused point with a timeline that we want to achieve it and making sure we hit it. Focuses all our time and all of our efforts on getting what we want from this category. So yesterday we briefly talked about what, fop and pen, which was uh, how much people are spending, how often they're buying, and how many people we've got buying, and maybe picking one of those as an example and targeting then our efforts towards achieving that. So yesterday was about uh, agreeing a category target. Once we've got our category target, we can then start to move down and we'll continue to move down our funnel over the next uh, few days, kicking back off again on Monday. Today's about understanding the shopper, when we get into Monday, we're going to be talking about understanding the supermarket or the channel that you're selling it into. From there, it's about identifying opportunities, then about selling those opportunities, landing those opportunities down at stage six, and then coming all the way back around with evaluating and improving to keep this continuous cycle, this mythology, um, absolutely alive. Um, as I mentioned yesterday, these stages work together, um, but yet at the same time, they're not so much of a start, stop, start, stop. It's very much uh, an overlap with that recycling that's going to be going on. So we've got our category target. Today we're going to be talking about understanding the shopper. Um, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converter on this. Keeping the shopper at the heart of our decision is absolutely paramount to everything we do within category management. There is no good us making decisions on our range, our promotional plan, the products we've got out there, and the myriad of other levers and buttons that we can push and pull um, if we're not considering. Uh, who the end user is. And effectively, that's us. We are the people that push trolleys, carry baskets, pick things up off the shelves, and yet too often we kind of um, put them over here and, and, and leave them out of our decision making process. So it's absolutely key that we keep ourselves uh, and the rest of those people that are out there purchasing at the core of uh, what we're talking about. 
So a few things to share with you today. Um, let me uh, let me signpost where we're at today. So we've recategory targets. We're now in stage two, understanding our shopper. A um, couple of things to share with you on this. Um, first of all, we have been doing category management for a very long time, and time and time again, we see that often only a third of this particular area is focused on, and the third that we see most uh, clients work on is the shopper, the person who's actually buying the product. I want to offer you an alternative that allows you then to consider some other areas. So I'm going to introduce the concept of the shopper, the preparer, and the eater. There's three different groups. Again, they can sometimes be one and the same thing, but if we consider our shopper, preparer, and eater, those who are buying it, those who are preparing it, and those who are eating it, we can then start to make some seriously powerful informed decisions on the stuff that we try to do. So let's not just think about the shopper, let's also consider those other groups. Bringing that to life for a moment then, what do we mean by the shop perineta? Pretty, uh, stick him over there. Shop perineta, what do we mean by that? So the shopper, it's us. We're out in the supermarket, my wife will send me to the shops and she'll say, can you go and pick up some pack of fish fingers? I'm the shopper, I'm buying those fish fingers. I'm looking for all the right cues in the store to entice me to pick up a certain pack. It's gonna be around price, packaging, what's in it, if it's added uh, extra omega-3 or something like that, they're the things that are going to uh, entice me to make that purchase decision. And then coming back, fish fingers, maybe hand them off to my wife, maybe I'm going to be the cooker, but I'm going to be the preparer for that particular meal. So I'm taking my fish fingers, and of course I'm adding some additional elements to it. Am I then the eater? I may be, not uh, against eating fish fingers, but it could be for my daughter. Um, she's eight years old, she's Loves fish fingers, so we're going to cook her fish fingers, so maybe some mashed potatoes, some other stuff that goes with it. She's the eater. We are then three potentially very distinct groups, and on this occasion, maybe they don't overlap. One person's shopping, one person's cooking or preparing, another person's eating. And yet, at other times, the shopper, the preparer, and eater could be the same person. The important thing to take from that is how can we consider the decisions that we're making to more better influence, more, more importantly, understand those three different areas. So shop, prepare, and eater, consider those and then consider what you can do differently as a result of really fully understanding them. Is that making sense so far? Nathan, now let me, let me bring you in for a second. Is that making sense to you? It makes absolute sense to me. And the, the way that it gets me thinking is often when you start a business or you're selling a service, the idea is that you fall in love with the problem. So a lot of businesses and a lot of um, I guess kind of category management people doing the same sort of thing will fail is because they fall in love with the solution. This is a great idea. This is a great product. It looks like this. This is going to sell millions. And then they put it out there and they're like, no, it doesn't because no one likes what we're talking about because it doesn't solve the problem for them. Um, and the, the story that comes to mind is when they were talking about washing powders previously. And they were, talk, they were talking, oh, well, we need, we need to make these sheets whiter than white, you know, the whole Daz Ultra thing, you know, blah, 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 all these sorts of things. When actually, I think in the 50s or 60s, when they did that research, it had nothing to do with whether the sheets were white. It was to do with whether or not it actually smelled good. So they were selling all this, you know, spending all this money on advertising campaigns to make these pictures of these beautiful, and actually all you need to do was sniff it, did it smell good? So it's understanding the problem of the shopper, uh, or the needs and the problems of the shopper, the preparer, and the eater, and having an idea of how to bridge all those gaps to make sure that every one of those individual groups is happy so you sell more of that product. 
absolutely. I talk about this in um, kind of the realms of what are their barriers and what are their motivations to purchase? What, what's going to entice them to, to pick it up, entice them to use it, entice them to eat it? And what are the barriers preventing those things? Once we understand that, we can then make, as you said, more informed decisions. Um, we did a project, um, well, maybe five or six years ago now, and we were talking about um, fresh salads. And we were a room full of shoppers, um, people who are actually buying and eating these products on a, on a weekly basis. I really wanted to get into the heart of, of kind of their understanding. Through a series of research groups, we were able to segment these, these groups and it was very much based on their enjoyment of salad, a very normal word, um, and how often they bought, so their frequency. Once we'd segmented into the people that had massive high enjoyment and they were buying it often, we knew that these were our, uh, our salad addicts, the adorers, the people that just love salad for many, many health reasons, flavour and all of that stuff. So we could target them as a particular group by giving them more inspirational ideas and helping them to expand the consumption they've got. And then we also knew that the flip side of the coin was those that were the avoiders. They didn't eat it too much. Uh, and if they did, they were you know, kind of uh, having low enjoyment from it. So we knew we could entice them with uh, a different approach. Maybe we're focusing on promotional strategy, we're focusing the, uh, the particular product mix in this bag. We're getting tons and tons of ideas back from them to allow us then to make better decisions on everything we then did. To your point, it's just about understanding what people actually want and need as opposed to maybe trying to second guess it which is fine if it's then tested but not if it's just pushed out of expecting it to work not sure if you're frozen that there you go but yeah so the idea is, is it's all well and good to test it but actually doing some of that kind of research and having that comprehension beforehand or of kind of creating the image of a customer, creating a kind of ideal client avatar. What are their barriers? What are their challenges? What are the potential solutions that we can offer as, as a service, as a product provider, and bridging that gap for them? Absolutely. Uh, for me, the kind of language that's typically used in uh, category management is so things called pen portraits, which is almost that point where you've said it, yeah, who are our ideal shoppers? Who are our core shoppers? Who are the shoppers that we wanted to go after? And if we can create that pen portrait of who they actually are, we can bring them to life. Um, Miss Selfridges did this absolutely brilliantly. Uh, back in the day, they would have a big cardboard cutout that was at the front of their head office. So as the buyers walked in every day to do their job, there was a cardboard cutout of their ideal shopper, who she was, her age group, how much uh, disposable spend she had, what her hobbies and interests were, and a whole list of additional um, appropriate um, elements that kept their core shopper at the front of their mind. So as they were making buying decisions, uh, product development decisions, they, they knew who their shopper was. Absolutely, it's keeping them there. And to get to that, you know what? We can invest tens of thousands of pounds in qualitative uh, consumer groups, focus groups to understand that, which is good. We've got a real solid understanding there. And at the same time, we can get out ourselves out into store and observe the things that are going on. We can talk to those people out there. You know, sometimes we need permission to do this stuff, but to get out and say, hey, excuse me, I've just noticed you picked up that pack of tomatoes. What's behind your decision? What are you using it for? Are you okay if I ask you these questions? Um, just to get some box pops, to get some uh, initial insight that we can then go off and validate at a more robust level. Once we've got that information, we can then start making some seriously brilliantly informed decisions. We can take those pen portraits, figure out who our shopper is, 
whether that's based on some demographic information of um, socioeconomic group or age group or uh, whatever that may be. Bringing it then down to understand their barriers, their motivations. We can share that stuff with the business. We can share that stuff wider so everyone within our company, both internally and externally, is focused on ensuring um, that we're doing the right thing for our shoppers. Um, coming back to uh, the salad example earlier, one of the biggest things that came out was people saying, well, what makes you pick up that particular bag of salads versus that one over there? And one lady, she picked up this bag and she went, it's bounce. And we all kind of stood there looking at each other. She mean by bounce. And all the other people in the group nodded, yeah, it's bounce. And what they meant was it was the freshness. It didn't have a river of water running across the bottom of the bag. The leaves look vibrant. The leaves look kind of it. Just kind of, oh, I want to eat that now. And they referred to that as bounce. That this product had to have bounce in the bag. And, and that was a term that was never heard before. But what it allowed us to do was to take that very simple piece of terminology, just in real world language, take it back to the business and go, do you know what? Every product comes off our production lines. It needs to have bounce. We can tell our store colleagues, if you're putting a product out that doesn't have bounce, then it doesn't go out there or it gets reduced and, and, and put off into the clear area. Take this very simple piece of understanding and just make it something so real that can then just um, exist right across the supply chain, right across the store formats uh, to ensure that we're achieving what our shoppers want in terms of uh, their, their real world experiences. And I think it's kind of that boots on the ground experience and going and having that face-to-face -face conversation is going to pay dividends. Like you say, you could be doing a focus group, but that takes time even to do the kind of a fast version, you know, creating a survey and sending it out on SurveyMonkey or doing it, that takes time to get that data and collate it. And then you've got to see, well, people, will people actually ask? But actually going into a store and asking five to 10 people and giving them a free sample of a product to get that real-time experience face-to-face -face from a, you know from two or three people from your that, that kind of that market and taking that information away immediately and then sticking that back into the top of the in top of the funnel and then actually feed it back through before your product even hits the shelf you know it is a fast moving and b absolutely critical to make sure that you're in your category Absolutely, absolutely. And some of the smallest um, observations can lead to the most powerful insights and then the most significant, important um, uh, recommendations. And um, if I kind of cast my mind back, and I'm probably going to go back about 15, 20 years now, we were doing uh, a lot of research again in fresh produce because a lot of that is my background. Um, and we we're watching shoppers interact with um, avocados. And you know, what, what are you buying that for? Oh, I'm going to be buying it because I'm going to put it with some bacon and some brie and I'm going to make a sandwich or I'm going to be using it for this and I'm going to be putting it in my salad and suddenly it dawned on us that avocados weren't being brought because they were a fruit which is where they were living at the time but they were being brought because they were being used as part of a meal typically uh, or more often than not was involved in a salad so suddenly we kind of had this brainwave and went hang on a minute we're merchandising avocados because it's a fruit with the other fruit but it's not brought as a fruit why don't we pick up avocados and start merchandising them with the salads, which is where you will now find them, um, I think in pretty much all retailers now, if not all of them now, because that is a true shopper decision-making hierarchy. If people want to go and buy avocados, they're not going to go, go and look by my other exotic fruit. I'll go and look by pineapples. I'm sure I'm going to find them next to the coconuts. But you now expect to find your avocados in the salad fixture, along with the other salad vegetables. Overnight, sales doubled, rock and roll, everyone's a winner. Consumers get what they want and can find it where they expect to, uh, and you can improve sales. And just that simple 
observational stuff can lead to, to changes literally overnight. And the interesting thing is you say that it brings me back to my history of living in Brazil briefly, going to supermarkets there. And actually in Brazil, predominantly, they eat avocados as a sweet dish. So they will add sugar to it. Whereas in the UK, predominantly, it's done as a savoury. So again, it's a category menu. I understand that if you were suddenly to be selling that product in Brazil because you changed the environment, with, depending on the company you worked in, actually going and seeing what the consumer does there is actually going to save you a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and actually understand what they do when you change geographically as well. Absolutely. There are, of course, different nuances both uh, within certain countries and in certain regions within certain countries. You know, we have our particular buying habits that we want to uh, try to align to. Um, again, I'm going to, another very brief story. 25 years ago, and I was probably about 12 months old at the time, 25 years ago, 25 years ago, I was an in-store merchandising manager. I was responsible for the layouts of the stores. And so as anagrams would come down from head office, my team and I would go and relay and move things around. Um, this was back at kind of a, the advent of as category management is really starting to accelerate. And week after week, I'd get these big range of view packs land on my desk and I'd say to the team, right, we need to go and move X, Y, and Z and stuff. One day this pack arrived on, uh, on my desk and it said, in short and sort of simple terms, go and pick up the four foot can tomato by bay, and I want you to move it two aisles over and drop it in uh, in our four next to all the uh, dry pasta. And we were kind of scratching our heads, thinking, what's all this about? But okay, we'll, we'll do it. Ours is not to reason why. So we picked up all the canned tomatoes, moved it to a couple of aisles down the store, relayed all the other fixtures to make space and close the space up, and. Okay, thinking right, okay, canned tomatoes, dry pasta, got it. Jobs are good. Tick that one on, on to the next one. Over the coming days and weeks, the amount of customer complaints you know, where, where's the canned tomatoes gone? I can't find my chopped tomatoes, I can't find my peeled tomatoes. You know, what's going on? Okay, we, no problems. We're hearing you. We'll put some signs up. Canned tomatoes are now in aisle five. Well, why have you moved this? And we're kind of going, we don't know. So we thought we'd phone up. We phoned up head office and said, hey, look, we're getting a lot of customer feedback on this. We, we, Want to be able to, to kind of answer some questions and find out what's going on and he said oh we've done one of these massive category management reviews and um we found out that there's a really high propensity of people who are buying dry pasta also buy um canned tomatoes because they're making their own fresh pasta sauce brilliant makes sense we've now got a reason why that's happening the problem was um and it can often be the case with category management is that that particular piece of work was done from a pasta perspective so the pasta guys have gone up and done all this research and figure out the uh, the correlation between dried pasta and tin tomatoes and they putting these things together would uh, make the shoppers life so much easier but because they only came in from the pasta perspective they'd failed to take into account the other tomato perspective the tomatoes especially tin tomatoes can be used in a number of dishes right from your kind of breakfast all the way through the day, right down to many our kind of other evening meals. So for me, that was a great example of trying to do the right thing for a category, but not being mindful and powerful enough to consider the broader, wider perspective. So if we're doing our category management, yes, we can make decisions that on face value and according to the data look really powerful, but yet at the same time can be horribly detrimental to, to the shopper's experience and just some of that common sense that can goods you'd expect to find canned tomatoes. Uh, and so it plays out. We've just got to be very, very mindful that uh, 
we're seeing a, a much more broader perspective when we're making our recommendations. And in my head, as you were saying, it is coming is rather than making that swing decision and causing that kind of unrest in the shopper environment, because we know confused people don't buy. And if there's that level of kind of that, that, that primordial thinking, the amygdala's kicking in and panic, well, I, I don't know what this is. Actually, they'll buy less when they go into store until that stuff neutralizes and balances out. It's about making a kind of a transition. And in my head, it's almost thinking Marmite on crackers or pickle on um, pickle with cold meats. You know, you wouldn't necessarily put, you know, the, a jar of Marmite in the biscuit aisle or you wouldn't necessarily put the pickle in the cold meat section. But what you might do is create a product or something that allows you time to almost bleed into that area. So you would have Marmite flavored crackers and you would have pickle in pork pies. And, and that's where a lot of product innovation comes from. And we've seen this um, proliferation of uh, new products and existing product developments start to kick in where we're trying to satisfy many, many needs. Um, the Pasta category again is actually a really good example of this where there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of pasta. Everything from our, our swirls, our tubes, our ribbons, our bows, um, our colours, whether it's what, just a, a multitude of things. But if you go and speak to any true Italian, and of which we've done this with a number of pieces of research, they would just literally laugh and go, that's, that's not how it should be. But it's what this market um, allowed us to evolve um, and almost over complicated times. Um, so we've just got to add to your point, add that kind of modicum of common sense and try and hone our decisions down to finding out what customers really want as opposed to trying to second guess what they actually want. Um, that's, that becomes super powerful. Awesome. I just wanted to Tom Crockett is already 22 minutes past one. Just in conclusion, what are the key elements that you need to be including or people need to be including when we're looking at understanding the shopper then? I think a great place to start is, is this stuff here, that there are not just one type of shopper. And we can get into the semantics of um, shopper, consumer, user. I think for, for the challenge will always be you've got to find appropriate wording for your business. Um, consumer seems to be the one that's historically been used but doesn't fit many categories. You know, consumer doesn't fit the, um, the washing detergent category very much. We don't consume, per se, our washing powder. We could use words like chooser and user, um, but actually just keeping it very simple. Who, the shopper, the pair of these become super powerful. Then understanding what they actually want, what they need, um, and getting into the crux of real world is, is super powerful. Um, Terry Leahy, when he was um, the marketing director for Tesco's before he was running the show, um, was interviewed once and someone said to him, um, you, you seem to always win all of the arguments and all of the debates and all of the discussions in the boardroom, why is that? And he says, well, I'm the marketing director. I have the voice of the shopper. That's not open for challenge. And what he's basically saying is that every rationale and thought that he had was backed up by consumer understanding, consumer needs, shopper needs. Um, and in which case, that's not open for challenge because that's what's actually needed. Super simple, super simple. Get the voice of the customer and make it happen. Amazing. So. so, open floor. I know we, we flew straight into information. You know what has been useful from today's conversation. Uh, let's light up the question box and then see you know what people are taking away from this, and also what questions are coming through. Uh, hyper conscious, hyper respectful of the fact that it's 24 minutes past one already. 
what has been useful from understanding what your consumer is looking for, what's been valuable from this session, and where else can we, we cast any more light on this? Let's just give that a moment for responses to come through. I think it's interesting when you're looking for me, is looking at when we're seeing those that kind of that can tomato situation and actually that limited kind of perspective and making sure we're broadening that out and that realization actually when you're standing in a supermarket and looking around oh this is why certain brands are doing certain things at certain times because they're using that client that that, that client customer demo um, analytics Absolutely. And there's some good examples of where that's been done brilliantly and some not so good examples. And you could take something like the um, celebration cake category, you know, where we go and buy our the Caterpillar birthday cakes. Ideal place for that to be merchandised? Probably next to the birthday card fixture where you find all your greeting cards and what have you. But yet we know where we're going to find it. It's sorted near bread, it's sorted near the other box cakes. So we kind of just typically have kept it there, even though there's a good argument to say it should go elsewhere. I think sometimes just doing that consumer research and saying to people, where do you expect to find it? Where would you want to find it? And then getting that robust sample of information to then inform your decisions. Do we leave it where it is? Should we try changing it to see if we can drive more sales? Okay. Let's find out what our shoppers want. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to come to a prime example about that in a second. So we've got one here. It's highlighting value stuff that's coming in, highlighting the importance of always listening to the voice of the customer. Absolutely. Um, and you now we talked about this in PDPs and even from an organizational point of view is understanding actually what's the if you work in an organization you know potentially your customer is the people you work for therefore you know they're paying for a service which is you which is you know listen to the voice of the customer if you're finding there's friction inside your job or wherever you're working you need to go back and kind of do that analytics of your team that you lead the department that you lead and, and, and find out what's going on for them which is why we do these internal surveys and 360 feedbacks so it's it's, it's almost this from the other side of the table um, what else we got? We've got Colin coming in. Is you know the trunk branch leaf aspect of understanding the shopper and how all are key. Absolutely. No, it, this is a systemic approach. I think is the right phrase for this. You know, it's a, it's a whole system, a whole environment kind of approach to understanding what it is we need to be doing. The thank you for sharing and that that example that came to mind was we gluten free. So if you go to the free from section, you know, you get a certain number of pastas. But the pasta that we prefer to eat, which is gluten-free, is actually in the pasta, it's pasta section. So it's not in the gluten-free section, it's in the pasta section. So I go to the gluten-free section, the free from aisle, and the pasta that I want, which is free from, isn't in there. And it's just like, hold on a minute, let's just do one or the other. So I think we're kind of getting to a point in, in the shopping environment, actually the free from section, is almost going to become null and void because those products will just become part of the other. I think there's moments in this, this blurred line between what is free from and what else am I eating, etc. Absolutely. And I think just with clear, clear sign posting on the packet, we can allow the shopper experience to be so much simpler. Go, this one's gluten free. We don't have to put it in a little, tiny little dot up in the right hand corner or merchandise it somewhere tucked around in a dark, dusty corner. We had exactly the same with organics, where we would have an organic section for all the fruits and veg. And then we'd say, well, actually, why don't we put the organic potatoes with normal potatoes and the organic bananas with normal bananas? And because people just need to have a little bit of um, um, simplicity and common sense applied to our, our, um, our thought process. But it's got to be based on the needs of the shopper. So we've got to ask them. We've got to speak to them. We've got to observe them. So it's exactly the same with so many areas across the store right now where we have 
overcomplicated it, uh, and we've actually made the shopping um, the shopping journey more frustrating at times, uh, not easier, which is what it should be. And in lieu of that, when Light was saying that, you know, it's it's then checking in with the customers at uh, intervals, and then going back to that top of the to the funnel. Know you know you know understand your shopper. Okay, we've done that. Everything's great. Well, six months, twelve months, twenty-four months later, actually, is it the same experience, or have things evolved and moved on? And they absolutely will, and they typically evolve, and most things tend to come full circle. So, what was right ten years ago that's clearly not right now. Maybe won't be right in five years' time. Um, we've just got to be constantly checking and keeping our finger on the pulse of uh, what, what's going on out there. What our shoppers our preparers and our eaters really need. And at the end of the day, that's us. We can't base our decisions on our, our personal preferences, but we can get a strong, robust sample of people to, to be able to make informed decisions and understand the impact of those decisions. Mm. And Colin's hit the nail on the head, you know, the shoppers aren't stupid. We need to make it easier for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks, Colin. Colin saying excellent today, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Look, I'm conscious of time. It's 29 minutes past. Andy, thanks very much for sharing. What are we covering tomorrow before we close off this conversation? Um, so I don't think we are covering anything tomorrow because I think our next one's Monday. But uh... ah, Monday. Yeah, sorry, Monday no, is indeed. Thank you, Andy. Sure where... Yeah. So Monday we're going to kick off with um, our next level of the funnel. So moving down into part three, which is understanding our supermarket, understanding our channel. That's going to help us to align those thoughts, those recommendations, those observations we've got to the needs and requirements of that particular outlet, because they often vary. Um, we've got a couple of ways we can do that. So that'll be Monday. Tuesday, we're gonna get into, for me, the, the sexy stuff, which is about identifying opportunities, um, and then turning those into recommendations based off our insights. Following days, and landing those opportunities, sorry, selling those opportunities, then landing those opportunities, and then coming all the way back around and doing our rinse and repeats. Amazing. So in the chat box right now is the link for Monday's session and the future sticky learnings. Thanks for reminding me it is Friday tomorrow. Click on there. If you haven't already clicked on that link, now is the time to click on there and register for the next session. Also in that chat box, we're going to include the category management coaching cards as well, which will walk you through the six stages of this funnel and or sorry, the seven stages of this funnel when we loop back around. You've got the category management cards there. There's five pounds, huge value for them just to get your category management mindset team and your sales team interacting in a way that is going to be helping you to look for more opportunities to grow your business. Andy, huge thanks for today. Looking forward to Monday. Thanks very much, everyone, for being here. Really appreciate it.